0: Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. The biggest barriers to adopting teeth aligners like Invisalign is inertia among dentists and orthodontists who default to braces as the go-to fix for crooked teeth. As Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Invisalign, it's Raj Putty job to change that. Since taking on the role, he's pushed the med tech company into the metaverse, ramped up its work with creators and developed a new brand platform around Invisalign being drama-free to connect with teens and their parents. In this episode, Pudi Petty, who also oversees the Asia-Pacific region for Invisalign, also chats about his formative years as a marketer at Procter & Gamble and the importance of trusting agency relationships. I'm your host, Alison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Raj, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm
1: good. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for connecting.
0: So, tell me about um, your remit. You are the chief marketing and product officer, and you oversee Asia Pacific. That is a lot of different roles. So, tell me about sort of how you kind of uh, prioritize your your day to day.
1: It's a great question. Look, um, I started off with a line kind of now, four and a half years ago, serving just as the CMO and CEO. And over a period of time, I've had a chance to kind of serve different other functions. Um, So, my job right now is to come up with the right innovation to continue to enable us to lead the world of dentistry and digital transformation in this industry. And I think, you know, kind of combining it with the regional role gives me an opportunity to kind of cook what I eat. (laughs) Right? You know, so there's no longer this divide between, hey, you know, these global bozos kind of come up with this innovation that's not relevant to the regions. So, here I get a chance to kind of do both of
0: and so where are you based right now?
1: Uh, in an airplane. But <laughs> but uh, look, uh, my family, we live in Ohio, uh, yeah. only because I've got a high schooler and we didn't want to move into China. But I've got a team in San Jose, our global headquarters is in Phoenix, and uh, and I'm at least a week to week and a half every month in, in the Asia region.
0: Well, I was going to ask, what's it like running Asia from Ohio? <laughs>
1: Look, you can never run a market from very far away. So you've got to be in the market. And I mean by by that, you've got to be in relevant markets. So I could be based in Singapore, but it'd be kind of the same, right? Because unless you're in China, you're in Japan, you're in Australia, you're in, Korea, you're in India, you go, don't get to see all the stuff that you want to see. So um, so it's fun. Um, I enjoy kind of being in markets and, and meeting my customers.
0: It's interesting to me that you at Align, you oversee product and marketing because I think those two things are often separate, but I think that uh, bringing them together can yield a lot of benefits, right? Break down silos and things like that. So talk about how that enables you to do your job as a marketer better.
1: So I think it's a great question. Look, what a, you know, Align is a tech company. So you're a medical device, but you're really a technology company, which is high growth. So, if you look at most med device companies, they can have a 4 to 6% target alliance. Long-term growth target is 20 to 30%. And the second thing that I want to kind of clarify is we are operating in a market where 80%, 85% of the market is still biased and practice. So, there's a huge kind of category conversion, habit change kind of you know, objective here. So, in that context, I think there are particular synergies as you kind of think about product and market. So the products that we come up need to be more predictable, but also need to enable more of our doctors, especially GPs all over the world, to easily use the Invisalign system. Anyway. And we need to be able to communicate compellingly to potential patients to become patients, so consumer marketing. But then also to you know doctors, which is orthodontists and dentists, about our innovations and why they should be comfortably able to use our system.
0: So it's really interesting that you mentioned that the biggest sort of competition for Invisalign is inertia, right? Like everyone knows the Invisalign. It has such great brand recognition, but people still and doctors still just do traditional braces. So talk about like how you kind of break in on the provider side, on the orthodontic side, because really that's sort of the first point of contact, right? For for people to get Invisalign.
1: That's right. Um, look, I think uh, that's a very insightful comment, and I'd say it's not just inertia. It's also a lot to do with, you know, when, you know, folks go to, you know, a specialization after dentistry, they become orthodontists. All they learn in the ortho schools is basically how to use wires and brackets and how to bend the wires and achieve feed So they, for the most part, globally, you know, orthodontists don't get taught on how to use alignment, especially in this so there is a clinical confidence component of analysis. Then there is this aspect of, look, um, I've done this for, for a while. I'm comfortable with this, which is the inertia you're referring to, saying, I want to kind of do this. There's a third component here, which is to do with the business model. Now, why it's in brackets actually cost much less than this, right, for a doctor. Mm. Now, the price to, to patients is about the same. So if you take the U.S., right, the price to Patients is around $5,000. So you know, you would kind of say, look, from a business model standpoint, it makes sense that we stick to wires and backings. What's different though about Invisalign and what we started to change, is patient outcomes are dramatically different. There is more lifestyle compromise, So you don't need to kind of give up your life for two or three or four years, especially if you're a teen in in the prime of your life when you're in high school, right? Um, You know, kind of wearing brackets and not looking like the way you want to, having lower self-esteem. Two, you know, you don't need to kind of make compromises on what you eat, where you go. You know, you could actually achieve the outcomes while kind of maintaining the quality of your life. Um, Two, we've now developed products that are as good or as, frankly, better than braces, faster than braces in many, many places. So... Patient outcomes are different not just in the quality of clinical outcomes, but also how quickly they're achieved and as well as the lifestyle benefits. Now, my job as a marketer is to make sure we communicate this in <laughs> an easy yeah. you way know, to doctors and convince them. And uh and just like consumers, what's fascinating to me is there are segments among customers, among doctors, exactly as you would find with consumers. And depending on what segment an orthodontist is or a dentist is, you know, we have a different message and we have a this.
0: So, is it so? It really is like cost is the barrier then for for doctors to adopt the technology. Is there any? What sort of messaging do you put in front of them to get them to embrace it? If if it because it's hard to compete with costs, right?
1: Actually, this costs, um, and, and I'll and I'll answer your question on the, on the messaging Madison, but. It's also mindset and clinical comfort. Remember, if you haven't moved feet using alignments, then you don't have the same level of confidence. And this is with orthodontists. And so, one of the things that many of the orthodontists don't realize, Alison, is the braces. You've got to get the patient back in the clinical degree So, if you know anyone who's got braces, they need to keep tightening the braces, they need to keep moving you know, the wires. And then a wire breaks in the midst of a big event and you've got to rush to the doc because, you know, it's poking inside your mouth and it's incredibly painful, right? So all of these emergency visits as well as visits every two weeks add up to chair time and practice time for the doctor. So Mm -hmm. if you really calculate the profit per chair hour, it's much higher for Invisalign because you give alignments to a patient. You only need to see the patient back for maybe 12 to 16 weeks. If that, right? Because now with our virtual care, you can actually go longer if you want. Know? But what that means is that all of this time that you spend in a chair, you're not know, kind of going to go away. So profit per chair hour is what we communicate to doctors because frankly, it also improves their lifestyle. You know, they don't need to spend long hours in the clinic doing the same thing when they can actually get much higher revenue, have happier patients, but also have better life themselves. So
0: what would you say, I mean, Invisalign has been around for years. So what would you say is sort of the biggest challenge in getting it to sort of overtake braces as just the, the default way to straighten your teeth?
1: Look, I, I kind of structure the challenges, you know, it's a multi daily you know, education, really, Alison. With orthodontists, I think we need to kind of drive clinical comfort, clinical expertise, basically, but also do... Communicate compellingly with the profit that you out. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're a GP, you know, a general dentist, and we've got 2 million general dentists globally, and we have to win the general dentists to be able to in a market Because there simply aren't enough orthodontists <laughs> to straighten the teeth of the, of the 500 million consumers who could benefit complete straight, like, just not enough orthodontists, right? Like for a general dentist, you not learn how to move teeth at all, ever. So you've got to start with basics, saying, okay, look, here are the fundamentals of moving teeth, here is what you do first, and then teach them a line of system, and then get them to understand, you know, the property equation and the, and the clinical workflow. So, you know, if you're an orthodontist, the challenges are a bit different from if you're a dentist. And mm-hmm. then up come the consumers, right? And it's funny. So take adults, right, young adults. Now so many of us, you know, kind of have lived with not perfect looking teeth for a long time. So even though we know that our, you know if we can actually have the smile that we want, we'd have much more confidence. There is this inertia. Saying, Yeah, is this now, maybe I could go next year. You know, do I want something now? So with adults, it's actually just getting them off um off their inertia to, to say, look, transform your smile and your life. Mm. With teens who actually have to get teeth, it is both, you know, clearing the perceptions that parents have, because parents sometimes think teens are not compliant. I'll tell you a secret, right? Teens are far more compliant than adults. Especially <laughs> middle-aged men and women. You know, they're the worst, right? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they're going to take care of life, and, and, and they don't count all the times they don't use, okay? So the funny thing is when we put a mom and a kid into brace, into a, uh, in line at the same time, uh, the kid is far more compliant than the mom. <laughs> we know that right? because we track them on a virtual kid. But I think still there is this perception among parents that uh, children are not compliant. And so there's marketing involved and communication involved. In communication.
0: That's interesting. I wanted to start talking about some of the consumer-facing communications that that Invisalign does. Um, I'm curious sort of like what your your sort of go-to channels are to reach consumers. And then I also want to talk about your digital strategy because you've done some interesting stuff with influencers and in the metaverse so talk a little bit about like your sort of go-to outreach channels and then how you in- weave some of these like innovative media formats into there. So
1: sure. look, we we want to present where our consumers are. So the go-to channels are exactly what we would expect to social media and such. First and foremost, so we are present um, with a pretty robust share of voice across the top markets across all social media channels. So whether you take Meta, TikTok um, and, or Snap, you're there. In markets where Insta makes sense, Pinterest makes sense, uh, Twitter makes sense, we are there, right? And in markets where, you know, kind of there, is, there are other you know, kind of websites which actually fulfill the same purpose, we are there. So if you take China, we are there on Baidu, you're there on WeChat, you know, and, and you should expect that, right? But we're also, you know, pretty keen to ensure that when, a potential patient searches online and most of us Google stuff with each one five thousand dollars. Okay? Yes. Then we've got to be there providing the right information, so we are there as well. And um and you refer to Metaverse. So recently we piloted an execution with Metaverse. Uh, because we wanted to be where gamers are, uh, especially on the Roblox platform with the fifty five million users that we have. And we said, look, you know what if we could demystify be- the dentist of experience the- for a gamer? So we set up a, literally a clinic <laughs> and they go inside a clinic and they get to learn, you know, what happens there. in the of
0: Interesting. So how did you sort of land on that idea and how did it like perform in terms of, I'm assuming it was, it was more of an awareness kind of play, right. For, for younger audiences. So talk about like, did it, did it kind of do what you wanted it to just cause there has been skepticism about the metaverse and all the investments that have been made there
1: recently great question. I, I'd say it over-delivered on our expectations. Because we went in with a very simple and clear purpose. We wanted to demonstrate how much better from a lifestyle standpoint than this is the basis. In the context of making the engaging and entertaining for all So, you know, of course, we demystified the office, you know, as, as a shape, between setting it up in the metaverse. But most of the games that we had kind of showed you know, the differences between Invisalign and braces in a funny way. So, Mm. of course, if you get the Invisalign gear, you're able to accomplish all tasks faster (laughs) and and versus braces. So, look, we've had more than 6.5 million impressions there, just uh, for a very small investment, I must confess, very, very small investment because we want to pilot it. But I think the reason why our execution is successful is, and and I complement the marketing team and the agency team both in this one is because of the clarity of the objective. We said, look, this is exactly what we're going to do. uh, And it worked. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. What about, I know Invisalign has also worked with influencers in the past and creators like Charlie D'Amelio. Talk about how you think about working with creators. And then also like, I'm assuming a big portion of your audience is teens, right? So how do you kind of navigate some of the challenges around reaching teens online?
1: Uh, it's a great question, I and mean, I'd say look, teams are incredibly savvy. <laughs> I'd say you know, kind of most marketers believe if you just put an influencer on, a team would listen. Some would maybe, but the vast majority of them are, frankly, far more just maybe, they're far sadder in terms of you know, kind of distinguishing brand messages from just you know, advertising. Them. So we've got, I'd say now up to a thousand influencers globally, okay, and we've got. Influencers in every key market, and the way we approach, you know, our engagement is we want to be authentic, so we want an influencer talks about this line to go through the people. So we typically start with, okay, why don't we start with you going to the office office, get scanned, and let's see how your how your smile could look to use in Because we've now got AI tools, Alison, that are actually can take your picture, frankly, your video, and could demonstrate to you. How beautiful, you know, smile would look. And then say, Look, would you like to try this? And then go through the journey. So we believe in authentic and real engagement with influencers. So that's why it starts with getting in this line and then documenting the entire journey. Look, teams, and if you refer the teams, and, and I would say that uh, the insight we have for a team campaign is in this is drama. Now, if you're if you if you're you a mom or dad of a teen, and I have two teenagers now, everything is drama, okay, including not being able to find popcorn when they want it or some such thing, or that favorite sweatshirt which has to be worn just this morning when you didn't prepare for it last night, okay? So life is full of drama if you're a teen uh, and if you're a mom or daddy more so. So we kind of came up with, with the human insight that connects it to this time, mean, so this is drama. So, in the context of everything you're going on uh, in life, maybe you don't want more drama with boys and brackets breaking in your mouth at the least opportune moment, right? Yeah. So, when you have a big test, when you are going to the prom, when, you know, you have an exam, you know, so, so, we've kind of orchestrated our entire campaign around this idea in this Islamopathy, and it's, it's kind of a funny campaign. And, um, you know, in the context of that, right, from a marketing standpoint, Alison, it, it's, um, it's been interesting to watch how we've got to grow. Three and a half years ago, we started with the insight and the, and, the, and the idea that even this is not your parents' braces. Now, that was very clearly hitting at, look, you know, kinda, your parents had to try braces because they didn't have a choice. Okay. And then, you know, in this line on the other hand, enables you not to do that. And now we've kind of come and gotten much more focused on Invisalign free because it's a much more theme specific insight. Uh, it's actually humanizing and connects the brand beautifully.
0: Yeah, I mean, teenage years are awkward enough, right? Why do you need wires poking your mouth? I'm actually curious because I feel like Invisalign is often used by adults more. Is that the case that adults it's that adults are more uh, open to it?
1: Half and half. Um, you got this right, because think about this, right? Most adults who want to get their feet straightened in, in developed markets, there are some exceptions, in developed markets use aligners, right? Because if you're a 30 year old, you know, you don't want to kind of walk around the break this So you want to align or right? And um, in teens, I tell you, even now, 75-80% of the cases globally, teens actually require some but if you look at our business, you know, it's kind of roughly half and half.
0: Another thing I wanted to ask is, I know Invisalign is kind of like the main player, but there are other aligners, right? There's Smile Direct Club, which has more of a direct-to-consumer approach. Have you dabbled in direct-to-consumer? Or how do you kind of view the way others are are doing it in the space and what that means for your brand?
1: Look, our philosophy is that the doctor is absolutely critical to anything that I treatment in the patient's. So, if a patient doesn't go to a doctor, doesn't get an examined, and the doctor doesn't design a custom sheet, we believe that the right clinical outcomes will be achieved. Now, remember, right? Moving teeth is actually a fairly complex. Okay? You know, just for fun, no two people's teeth are the same. Right? And no two teeth within a person's mouth are the same. Okay? So, you have... A possible 2.6 times 10 power 35 combinations. Wow. Okay. It's a bigger number than any of us can imagine in terms of how many combinations are there, right? And in that context, I think, you know, you know, even when we have the best of machine learning and AI, we need an actual doctor to determine which two rules and what suit. And 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 so you know, most brands that actually don't depend on a doctor try to correct just cosmetically teeth which are you know we call them social sex. But remember, you know, orthodontics is much more than just aesthetics, it's about a healthy bite, it's about you know a functional bite so that you don't have sick teeth and other issues, oral issues in your life. So we absolutely believe that you know, an orthodontist and a dentist is trained and certified are critical process.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would want someone moving my teeth around without
1: <laughs> a doctor seeing it. Good call. I can tell you that some who tried actually have had very adverse outcomes. Because you don't see yeah. it easily, right? Because what happens is you think everything's fine, a couple of years later, teeth start chipping and you go to a doctor and mm. say, so why are they chipping? Well, because the bite is wrong.
0: Yeah. 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 It's interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about you and your career. You spent, you built your sort of career at P&G. You spent twenty years there. Talk about how that sort of shaped your approach as a marketer.
1: The P&G <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I'm an engineer, and then I did my MBA in marketing and finance. And the funny story is, P&G was the first and only company I interviewed. You know, that was day one on our business school in India. And it was the first company that I interviewed with. I never got out of the room. They sent me to one after another three or four different people. And uh and 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 I was privileged enough to kind of join the company. Uh, I loved it. Look, I spent twenty-two years in Coptain Gamble. The last ten years I was actually leading businesses. Right? Um, when I started with PG, I actually started with data and analysis. Right? Mm-hmm. So it gave me a very good grounding on how brands grow. How do they build? Right? And so today, you know, when there is this big debate between you know this performance marketing world, this brand marketing work, you know, how do how does growth happen? I, I you know can I I go back to the fundamental principles um, that Professor Renberg talked about. How brands grow? Right? Brands grow by growing awareness, by growing availability, by growing appeal, the and then reliability. The That's how we grow. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, those fundamental principles work well for me. And then you know can I you know as my Colleagues in data analytics used to say, I switched over to the dark side. <laughs> I moved to marketing, and I spent um, I spent five and a half years as a marketing director in different roles. Right? And um, those were foundational. Those were foundational roles because I learned the nitty-gritty of marketing. What's an insight? How do you write a brief? How do you bring the creative things to life? How do you actually treat agency as a true partner? And, and I strongly believe that marketers who don't get good output deserve what they get because they're not mm-hmm. keeping their partners with respect and uh, and and care that they deserve. Uh, so, um and then how does, I still remember this one. I used to kind of uh, work on white space. And um, I was chatting with a global creative director and I was telling him, look, it's really difficult to move the business. And so we started a conversation. We ended up talking for two hours. About six weeks later, we aired our first ad um, showing Pete versus a paper napkin, <laughs> you know, and and i tell you, that transformed the business right then and there. So so I learned that firsthand at P&G, you know, how do you nurture the creativity and how do you get to the inside? Same time, the, the hard numbers part of media, reach is more important than people. How do you actually maximize reach? How do you move past closed loop attribution to more market mix modeling, which is far more accurate because it's a common right? So both sides of the equation were um, very good, Alison. And uh, I'll wrap it up with, look, 70%, 80% of general managers in P&G come to market. So, and then mm-hmm. I moved on to general management. And in some ways I got to eat what I cooked. <laughs> Because as a general manager, you're responsible for the top line, the bottom line, the organization, and the brand health, all at the same time. So I got a chance to kind of, you know, lead you know, several businesses in Latin America, then the North over care business. And, and you realize the importance of brand and how strategic decisions you make now will influence the business many years. Yeah,
0: I think that's the challenge, right? Having the patience. For the for the results to show up down the line um, is is something a lot of marketers are pressured to move quickly and and do get results immediately. How do you navigate that?
1: You know, I'd say I, t- I see that more and more than And as I kind of see that the colleagues reason I'm mean, part of something called um it's now some CPOs. You know, as closed loop attribution gains as it is gained, you know, from more and more followers, I think this thing has be a more refreshing, right? And by what I mean by close-group attribution is, you know, now we want to kind of track who sees the ad and then immediately the action they take and how they buy. And I think it's a complete house. That's not how consumer behavior works, right? And um, it, it, it really, you know, companies like Procter Gamble do so well simply because, not just because, you know, kind of, you know, they're companies, but because I tell you that uh, the way marketing works, you know, the way advertising works is understood by these companies really, really well, right? mm-hmm. You bring, cons- you make consumers aware, and remember, most of your incremental value in any year is contributed by light users, light users of a bank, not by heavy users, right? Mm-hmm. So, the more consumers you bring in to become interested in your proposition, the more you increase your availability and your appeal, the higher the likelihood that you actually achieve your And none of this has to do with close to because that light user likely won't buy now, right? And, right. And won't go to Amazon immediately because he or she has seen your ad online. They will not, right? And measuring that is completely essential.
0: It's sort of like trying to take make uh human behavior into a perfect formula, which is never the case. So how do you think about measuring success then if you if you sort of don't believe in the the closed loop attribution model?
1: Look, I actually believe much more in formative models like a model. Uh, Multi variable model, you take all your inputs, take all your outputs. What the model does is it force fits whatever your value growth or decline is to whatever people do. So, you know, by, of course it's not perfect in any way, but it kind of ensures that at least relatively, you know, the importance of different inputs comes out much better than other models that we see. Right? Mm. So if you ask me how I allocate money, right, across different engagements, you know, I, I, I leverage market mix models along the judgment, right? Because I tell you, even now market mix models say Meta and Snap are better ROI. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that, you know, as much as they are, you know, I, I think I've got to be balanced. Or they'll say TikTok works in the U.S., and I'm questioning how long. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, judgment comes through. On the brand side of things, Allison, we do measure equity. Okay? Mm-hmm. We measure awareness, aided and unaided, but also equity. Brand, and 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 see how it has moved. So, both sides. So, market mix modeling and then brand health.
0: Interesting. So you mentioned um, agency partnerships are really important to how you like to work. Talk about first of all, Invisalign's agency setup. Like, where are you working with agencies, and what are you doing in house? And then talk about how you make a successful partnership with your agencies.
1: That's a really, really good question because it, it's more relevant for us at Align uh, now than than anything else. So when I started serving Align, right in my third. We used to have a hundred plus agencies that we used to with, Oh, wow. Right? There was no campaign. There was no consistent idea. Not because people didn't want it, but because, you know, kind of, you know, for a med tech company, you know, marketing was not necessarily, you know, kind right? It might be for package goods because that's how a Proconyam or a or, or, or Pepsi or a L'Oreal would run, right? Um, so we had to kind of, as a team, bring in fundamental discipline. Uh, I worked with a wonderful group of people in global marketing led by Kamal. And she and her team were instrumental in us coming together and saying, look, what's the equity? Point? What are the points of difference? What's our overall equity? What's the brand purpose? Define that first. Second, let's actually do go through a, a, a disciplined process to identify one agency we can work with. So we now work with PG-1, focuses Group 1 globally, both on the creative and media side. And uh, I can tell you, they've been critical for us to kind of scale and transform okay. So we have the same idea uh, in this is drama for and and in this is that everything flows for adults. We've got that across 14 different models. Okay. We've got that across consumers and across doctors. Right in terms of what we do. So we've got points of difference for doctors, points of difference for consumers. And uh, and I can tell you that as much as Kamal and the Align team lead brand marketing, the agency team and the media team especially have been instrumental in in helping us get to a
0: do you find that having everything under one agency integrated is is helpful, or do you still find like like what's the balance between that and needing to pull in specialists and work with partners where you might want to bring in outside partners?
1: Look, in general, for a company at our stage of growth, I think it's actually important to have consistency, and I think the answer may change depending on how mature the company is, how mature the brand is, and what needs are. But for us at Align right now, and the New brand, I think consistency is key. From time to time, you know, we do run into some challenges, some freshness and creative and social, and um, and and we have seen that, especially on the adult side of our business, sometimes. And um, but I think you know the agency has has risen to challenge, right? As long as we have a fairly transparent and and trusted relationship, believe, with the clients.
0: So now that you have your, your global agency in place, you have sort of your structure, what can we expect to see from InvisLine in the next few months?
1: it's a big uh, question because we, we, you will see new ads from us, a, a, a new campaign based on Invisalign. Uh, hopefully, you know, you'll like them because you, know, you have very, very different executions that bring to life what we see uh, with teams every day. He's seen with moms and dads every day, so uh, that would be fun to come kind of watch. We have new influencers, so we're we'll the the journey to life. At On adults, I'm particularly excited because I think mean, we have new work done again, which talk about how uh, people's lives actually change you know, in this hour. So that's grand purpose, right? I believe mm-hmm. that the new work that we do will, will bring our purpose to life. And I think it's a nice way to say, look, you know, can it make a difference to me? So sure. and, and here it is. Um we we also try to expand into more markets. Mm-hmm. So, so if I take a five-year view, Invisalign line actually is not well known in many markets Okay. So mm-hmm. we have uh, we have our uh, this is objective ensuring we equity across all of our top markets. And, um, and and across the vehicles the relevance.
0: Awesome. So brand building and world domination, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> brand building and brand relevance to a big culture.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Raj. It's been great chatting with you. And uh yeah, no drama.
1: <laughs> Good. Thank you, Alison. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for your questions and uh and I look forward to staying connected. Do let me know what you think when you see a new okay? I will.
0: That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.